You're listening to From the Burgundy Chairs, a podcast for health system leaders created by Santa's Health. Hi, everyone. My name is Patrick Nelson, and I'm a principal here at Santa's Health. Today, we are discussing physician assistants, their role in our COVID-19 context, and what we can expect for PA regulation in Ontario and Alberta. Before we get started, I want to introduce our guests. Today, I'm joined virtually by Sahand Safi and Kirsten Lomala. Kirsten began her career in the Canadian Armed Forces as a medical technician, and she eventually graduated from the inaugural PA degree class. In the years following, Kirsten taught in the Forces PA program, and she completed her master, Master's of PA Studies in Education and ER Medicine. Now, Kirsten works at Alberta's Demonstration Project in the Department of Neurosurgery at the University of Alberta. She is also the Alberta Board Director for the Canadian Association of Physician Assistants. Sahand is a certified physician assistant working in emergency medicine at the University Health Network in Toronto. As the inaugural PA at UHN, Sahand is a passionate advocate for the profession. He is a McMaster PA graduate, a clinical instructor, and assistant professor at McMaster, and is the Ontario Board Director at Kappa. Thank you both for joining us today. Thanks for having us. Glad to be here. Thanks for having us. It's a pleasure to be uh, with you, Patrick, and to hand. Okay, well, let's get to it, guys. Thanks for making the time. Uh, I, I know you're both practicing, uh, and things are uh, a little crazier than they've ever been. Uh, you're both uh, tremendous advocates for the profession uh, in your respective provinces and in, in Canada, frankly. Uh, let's start with regulation. There's been uh, a, a couple of uh, uh, pretty significant announcements made over the over the last month. Kappa has been working hard to get PAs regulated in both Ontario and Alberta. So maybe you can update us on your respective provinces on, on what's happening there. And maybe I'll start with Alberta, Kirsten. We've been working for this regulation now for a number of years. Um, and just recently, the Alberta government has made their official announcement that the ordering council has been signed off on and effective 1 April, PAs in Alberta will be regulated under the College of Physicians and Surgeons in Alberta. And this is tremendous news for us um, and it has significant impacts on how we practice. It's been a big year, I think, for PAs across Canada uh, and just around the same time that the announcements were made for our colleagues in Alberta, uh, Christine Elliott, our Minister of Health in Ontario, came out and committed to regulating PAs and working with the College of Physicians and Surgeons of Ontario to regulate PAs in Ontario. Uh, and again, everyone knows how long we've been working towards this in Ontario, so it was a really, really welcomed announcement. I think a lot of people were super happy to, to hear that, uh, but we're still waiting on a time frame. So unlike Alberta, where they've committed to that April deadline, we still have yet to hear on what when uh, we can expect to be regulated here in Ontario. But I'm optimistic that we'll hear about that soon. So maybe you can, for both of you, maybe you could uh, help uh, our listeners understand what the significance of, the, of these announcements are. What, what will this mean for PAs uh, on the ground, but also for patients in these respective provinces? What can they expect to see different or better? Well, for here in Alberta, um, the way our demonstration project stood up and was organized, although we are supervised by our physicians, both indirectly and, and directly, 
we actually were not allowed to write any orders. That included discharges, that included in-hospital. Uh, everything had to be co-signed before any of our nurses could accept anything. Um, and that left a, a long lag. You know, a resident or a surgeon could be in the operating room. Um, a lot of our charts were still paper charts. So there was finding somebody who could come up and actually sign the chart. And that's a delay in patient care. So in Alberta, this actually means that as of April 1st, I don't need co-signatures on any of my charts, on any of my orders. I can write discharge prescriptions. Um, so it's going to mean at the end of the day, faster care for the patients, um, better turnaround times for getting people discharged from hospital, less surgeries should be canceled. Uh, so it's a really a, a, a tumbling sort of effect of, of what's going to actually happen for the patient care come 1 April. Yes, yeah, similar here. I mean, we, we don't have the same struggle as Kirsten's team in, in Alberta with regards to orders. In Ontario, uh, we are able to function under delegated controlled acts and in particular under medical directives. Uh, so our day-to-day, -day, I think, for me, for a lot of PAs, probably won't change dramatically, especially for those who have medical directives. Uh, and for people who don't know what medical directives are, essentially, it's just an outline of the things that you can and cannot do in your practice with a physician. Uh, and it's a pretty long document. I don't think people realize how cumbersome it is to create these as a PA, uh, to sit down and say, you know, what can you do in terms of histories, physical exams, procedures, what medications you can order and prescribe. Uh, it takes a long time to develop this. And, and that's a huge, I think, uh, barrier for PAs in Ontario in terms of getting integrated into particular settings. So even though once they're developed, we can practice uh, relatively, you know, independently and autonomously within some degree of supervision with our physicians. Uh, at the end of the day, I think with regulation, having to having the ability to be able to practice without the medical directives, and as Kristen said, right orders without medical directives, uh, it'll provide some more role clarity and guidance in terms of our practice in the province. And I think the other thing with regulation is that it provides us with a degree of legitimacy uh, with Within the medical community, you know, if you're not a regulated healthcare provider, uh, unfortunately, a lot of the times that's used against you. Uh, it doesn't necessarily mean that you're unsafe, but I think the community looks at it and may use that in, against us uh, when, you know, it may be in their advantage. So I think that this really helps to solidify the role in both of our provinces, and it shows that, you know, PAs are here to stay. Yeah, I think that's insightful. I, you know, the piece that I think always gets misses missed in, in these conversations about regulation is also the upside for government and for patients. Uh, you know, we don't talk about it in the PA community necessarily, but the requirement or more requirements as far as professional development, there's a disciplinary process that gets introduced are all things that exist for other health professionals to make sure that we're sort of holding health professionals to the highest standard. Uh, and disciplining those that uh, 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 that need discipline. I mean, one other thing that um, comes to mind is, you know, we hear lots of stories around the barriers to not being regulated in Ontario. And I mean, some of those examples are um, liaising with particular providers. So we've heard of numerous instances where PAs working in acute care settings won't be able to speak to someone from poison control when they're managing a sick patient that might have might be presenting with a toxicologic emergency uh, because that you know they can't speak to an unregulated healthcare provider. So as you know, Kristen said, it really does hinder patient care at times as well. 
uh, and it acts as a barrier to our practice. Uh, so I'm really, really excited to see how we, how, what regulation pans out uh, as for PAs in Ontario. I think uh, as long as it's done properly, we'll be able to be even better integrated into our system. The other part of regulation um, is also our title protection. We often see jobs being posted that are a physician assistant, but they're actually a medical assistant or they're an IMG that's trying to get extra clinical skills. Um, and so this actually protects our profession and allows that only those that go to an accredited PA school, whether it be in Canada or the US, they're able to actually come and practice and nobody else can imitate and call themselves a PA. And I think that's very, very important for the profession. Well said. So maybe briefly, the uh, I mean, this is something that's been uh, called for by the profession, uh, you know, for probably since PAs were introduced in the 80s. Um, there's been, have you had any engagement with your PAs in your respective province? How are they receiving this news? Is there, uh, you know, general joy or trepidation or lots of questions about what this, what this means for PAs? The reaction has been overwhelming for the Alberta PAs. You know, we've waited uh, seven years ago, the PA demonstration project started and we're on our third government trying to get this, this finalized. And, you know, it's just to have those barriers knowing that they're going to be less barriers for us to practice has just been overwhelming. Um, the PAs here are looking forward to being able to expand. Uh, and that's that's been a huge comment that has come back is, well, maybe we can get some more. Now that we can use them in different ways, we can redeploy them during COVID to work in different facilities. Um, you know, this, is, this, this will make the practice so much better. And the PAs are ecstatic. They've waited a long time. Yeah, it's the exact same in Ontario. I completely echo Kirsten's thoughts. And, uh, you know, I, I have two examples here. I, I think that one, one side of it is that there will absolutely, I foresee there being at least more opportunities for PAs once we are regulated because of the fact that they can just be easily integrated in particular settings without needing to you know, dive into medical directives and other things. Uh, and also it'll provide opportunities for PAs in settings where they are having difficulty kind of finding supervising physicians. I actually just opened up an email. I, I remember it actually while we were having this conversation from a PA colleague who reached out to me early in November about the fact that they've taken on multiple kind of new responsibilities in medical aesthetics, have, had, had done a, gotten licenses in medical aesthetics, but because they're an unregulated healthcare provider, despite the fact that they have all of this medical knowledge and skill and training and work in a surgical setting and do crazy procedures in that setting, as an unregulated healthcare provider, they're unable to open up their own medical aesthetics clinic, unlike you know, RPNs or RNs uh, that are able to do so. So I think that these are other opportunities that may pan out for some of the PAs uh, in these jurisdictions. Um, but in contrast, I mean, what's interesting is I think even though there's overwhelmingly an overwhelmingly positive response, uh, there are a few PAs who've reached out to me and said, you know, we should probably be careful. You know, our supervisors are concerned that regulation can also be limiting potentially if it's very specific and limits our scope of practice. So I do think that we have to be very careful and I look forward to working with the stakeholders like the CPSO to make sure that we're involved in these conversations around regulation and to make sure that whatever is decided, that it maintains our, our scope of practice and doesn't limit us in any way. Because 
that would be that would be really unfortunate if that happened. Yeah, no doubt. Change and uncertainty uh, can often be uncomfortable, um, in particular when people don't understand it necessarily. And speaking of change and uncertainty, it's a good segue into kind of the elephant in the room, which is COVID. And uh, you know, since March, uh, the whole healthcare system and, and frankly the governments and uh, the economy and everything else have really had a very narrow focus on COVID or the, um, you know, the effects of COVID. Uh, maybe you could spend a couple minutes sort of sharing uh, how COVID has kind of impacted uh, your day-to-day um, in your respective practice areas and, and perhaps uh, what you've seen with others. Uh, you, you both are sort of working on the ground and I think that would be an interesting thing to hear. I think the response out here for the PAs is a bit different than the Ontario experience uh, in conversations and, and the reading that I've, I've done with some of them. Because we're unregulated and because we don't work with um, delegated acts, we have not been redeployed at this time. We can't do evening shifts because there has to be a staff in the hospital to co-sign our orders. Um, but it does impact us in other ways. So uh, my department has actually had a resident test positive for COVID. Uh, I lost a few of my staff as a result. I lost a few of the residents who had to go into quarantine. Uh, and thankfully, out of the significant number, it was only one person that actually tested positive. Uh, but that led to having to work overtime which we don't get paid for because it's not in the budget because um, the patients need the care. Uh, so, you know, and oftentimes we're filling the void as other members of our team are going into quarantine. Um, and that puts us at risk as well. Edmonton right now is becoming an epicenter in Alberta. Our numbers are skyrocketing. Um, we are seeing daily, daily numbers that are exceeding all of our expectations. Their forecast is that we are going to have, um, and last night's forecast was saying something about 167 people with COVID in our ICUs within the next two weeks. Uh, we're doubling up our ICUs. It's, you know, we're, we're putting in new measures every single day. We now have to wear face shields and uh, we were wearing masks, but now it's face shields. And I predict soon it's going to be, you know, full gowns just to see our normal patients. So it's certainly having an impact on the morale um, that is affecting all of our staff. Yeah. So, I mean, in Ontario, uh, certainly, especially in the GTA, it's been a bit of a roller coaster for all of us. Um, I think that because of the delegated controlled acts and, and the flexibility of the PA role, a lot of PAs have been redeployed to other areas. Um, in particular, you know, at UHN, I work in the emergency department. Uh, so we haven't been redeployed, but we've been active in helping with, um, helping with redeployment initiatives for people that may be coming down to emerge to help us should there be a surge in cases uh, and getting them onboarded to the emerge environment. Uh, there's been multiple PAs uh, that have been redeployed from their settings. So, for example, our radiation oncology PAs uh, were asked to help with screening patients at times. They've also sat on COVID steering committees. Uh, we've had PAs on COVID teams on our internal medicine units helping care for uh, COVID positive patients on the ward. Uh, and in fact, there was a very nice story written for our uh, National PA Day about uh, these two PAs at, at the University Health Network, one of whom actually contracted COVID. Uh, as a result of his work on, on the front lines. So there's been a lot of great work that's been done around the province uh, with regards to PAs. The other thing that we're seeing in, in the community is 
the shift to virtual care. So a lot of PAs have been working with their clinics to help in virtual care initiatives and ensure that there's processes in place for their patients to access care uh, where otherwise they would be unable to access that care. So I think PAs have, you know, for, for better or for worse, you know, it, it, it sucks that we're dealing with COVID, but I think for Ontario, PAs have really been put in the limelight throughout this, init- throughout this pandemic. Uh, and a lot of people are starting to recognize the value and the flexibility of the PA role. Um, but similar to what Kirsten was mentioning, it is a challenge. And I think now that we're almost a year into it, uh, morale is low, you know, and I think people are certainly getting COVID fatigued. And I think hopefully with some of this news around the vaccines, the we're starting to see the light at the end of the tunnel. And I think it's important for us to just continue doing what we've been doing and to make sure, you know, we're doing everything we can to protect ourselves and our patients. Yeah, you kind of get the feeling that the the news of a potential vaccine rolling out sometime, even if it's not for months here in Canada, is helping uh, a little bit with people's fatigue with COVID because there's at least um, the perception that the end is is closer than it's been uh, for some time. So it sounds like PAs have been, in, in both cases at minimum, uh, you know, it's kind of stepping up uh, uh, where they can, uh, even if that opportunity isn't totally being leveraged in Alberta, which is unfortunate. Uh, but maybe the, the quick work on regulation will help there. So the, the, maybe as a final question uh, to you both, um, and I, you know, the lens of COVID is, is is real and probably hard to ignore. But you know, where do you see the um, the advocacy and the focus and the profession going in the in the coming months and years? I think, you know, trying to get more PAs into other provinces, you know, British Columbia, Saskatchewan, Quebec, Newfoundland, even in the territories where there still is a need for, for effective health care. Um, you know, that's a, obviously places that we can further negotiate with. Here in Alberta, it'd be nice to see some programs start up, um, you know, make some developments in producing our own PAs. There's a lot of interest. I would say weekly I get a, uh, a University of Alberta student who's looking at becoming a PA and why can't I go to El- school in Alberta? So I think that is something to also advocate for here. Um, and then you just wage parity for across the country so that we're all having similar wages. Unfortunately, Alberta is one of the lower paid PA wages, but um, regulation is done and, and we can work at full full scope. So, you know, there is some give and take and, and that's where I see Alberta going. That makes good sense. And you're right, the, the lens of compensation um, seems to be coming back. Uh, I recall in the early days of my work with PAs, the, there was a tremendous focus on there's not enough jobs, and it seems to have shifted a little bit to uh, compensation and benefits and uh, work-life balance and things like that, which I think is good in some in some ways, but not good in others. Sahan, any thoughts? Yeah, I agree completely. I, I think, you know, looking five years down the line, similar to what's been said already, I, I, I I'm optimistic that other provinces and territories will start to get on board with PAs. I know that there's a lot of PAs uh, and frankly, there was a Twitter discussion a few days ago with some docs in BC that wanted PAs. Uh, and so I think there is a need uh, and there, there is uh, definitely an interested workforce that would love to go back home to BC and care for patients in BC. So getting those provinces on board would be fantastic. Uh, and even things like locuming opportunities for uh 
jobs up north, I think would be really interesting for a lot of PAs. I know I personally would love to locum in rural communities, not necessarily move and, and live there and work there full time, but certainly doing some shifts up there and providing access uh, in those communities, I think would be lucrative for PAs, but also very beneficial for governments because they can probably save a lot of money uh, in terms of getting someone like a PA up there caring for their patients. Um, and then, yep, I think regulation and compensation goes hand in hand. And, and PAs in Ontario, I think, are a little bit frustrated that compensation has been kind of at a standstill over the last few years. And if you look at what some PAs are doing, actually, not just in Ontario, but in Alberta and other provinces across Canada, um, it's very impressive work, you know, and uh, I think that it's only fair that we reevaluate the compensation and make sure that it reflects the degree of responsibility and autonomy of the PA uh, that's performing those tasks. And as Chris mentioned, I think inevitably once compensation and regulation fall into place, then we can look at expanding the programs, graduating more PAs so that we know that those PAs can graduate into jobs uh, and ultimately looking at, you know, the global PA movement, which we've already started looking at to some degree with Kappa uh, and looking at ways of um, communicating and navigating the global PA landscape with our colleagues south of the border and also in Europe with the our friends in the Netherlands and in England and those other jurisdictions. Well, you know, maybe I'll wrap up the, uh, cause I know you guys need to get back to doing what you, what you do, uh, which is more important than, uh, than this, but maybe first congratulations on, on uh, uh, this, the advocacy success. Uh, I know it's been a long road. You both were uh, obviously integral in, into making those things happen. So uh, Big applause there and, uh, you know, a special thanks for all the extra work that you're doing. Uh, it's been a long road for uh, for all of us, but a particularly long road for those working on the front lines in, in, in health through a pandemic. Uh, and unprecedented is a word that gets, gets used a lot, but there's no doubt uh, it's appropriate for you both. So thank you for taking the time uh, to, to chat with us and thanks for all the extra work you're doing. Thank you, Patrick. I, I think, uh... Just before we end off, it's important to make sure that your efforts uh, and the efforts of, of you know, Santis, they've helped us with multiple in initiatives as well, don't go unrecognized. I, I don't think that we would be anywhere close to where we are today without all the work that you've done for us. Um, you know, certainly we're volunteer members, but you've done a lot of the, uh, the hard work in the background. So thank you for that. Uh, it's very, very appreciated. Thank you, Patrick. Uh, I echo Sahan's um, words and you know there's so many people behind the scenes that that get these works done whether it be our our local governments whether it be our physician advocates in our in our communities um, even just some of our PA members who have just taken and run run with the initiatives to to advocate for the profession so you know it's a huge team effort and uh, you've been a huge part of that as well so thank you you're not supposed to uh, uh, acknowledge the host, but uh, I'm grateful for that. So thank you very much. So good luck, guys. Good luck in the coming months. And let's, let's hope there's a vaccine soon and keep up the good work. Thanks for listening. You can find this episode and more on our website at santashealth.ca and on our Twitter at santashealth. This has been from the Burgundy Chairs. Thank you.